Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to another episode of Off The Wall, the podcast where we like to give you a flavour of everything that's going on over on the paywall side of Anfield Index at Anfield Index Pro. Now, if you don't know the drill by now, I usually give you a full show from uh, from AI Pro or some extracts from various shows that we've, we've had on that channel. Now, you can get hold of AI Pro content at any time. You just have to go to anfieldindex.com forward slash join. From there, you can sign up to a, a no obligation free trial for seven days. Uh, try out all the content if you like it stick with it if you don't just go back and listen to your uh, your itunes music or whatever else uh, takes your fancy uh, but we would hope you would uh, enjoy the quality and stick around now this week i'm going to give you uh, some extracts from three shows that we've had on ai pro this week and i've tried to really focus on the stuff away from conjecture away from uh, away from transfers if you like uh, there's so much of that content out there on, on various channels and I've tried to give you a little flavor for some of the experts that we have on uh, on AI Pro. I'm going to start with uh, Money Talks. You may have seen uh, Mo Chatra, uh, at Mo Chatra on Twitter. He uh, released some, uh, some tweets this week. Uh, Kind of explaining why Liverpool may have avoided the uh, the big transfers and uh, referring back to those comments uh, back in May from BBC's David Ornstein about Liverpool perhaps not indulging themselves in the transfer market and having something of a fallow year. So in a moment, uh, I'm going to let you listen to uh, Mo talk to Gags Tandon uh, about that, and uh, he goes a bit deeper on some of those tweets, so you can get a real feel for for what Mo's trying to convey in those tweets uh, with this audible version of that. Then we're going to move on to Minefield, where I'm going to uh, let you hear from uh, various coaches, uh, uh, various coaches, uh, Alan O'Donoghue and Andrew Vincent, who normally do that show, and they're joined uh, this week by Marty Lovren, a, a sports physiotherapist, to, uh, to look at the players that are returning from injury, uh, Alex Oxley. Chamberlain, Rian Brewster and Joe Gomez and then we're going to conclude with some uh, stuff from our scouted podcast where uh, Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett discuss the preseason in more detail so uh, first and foremost uh, we'll let you hear from Gags Tandon and Mo Chatra this is from Money Talks. So um, yeah you've there's so many fans out there right now losing it you know over the transfers and you know Liverpool have made 100 I, I keep seeing this Profit being thrown around, you know, Liverpool made profit. Why? Why aren't we spending money? They've just gobbled it all up. FSG, the bastards. They've kept all the money. They're keeping it all for themselves. This, that, and the other. You know what I mean? Nonsense going around. So, oh yeah, I I, I saw that a brilliant, you know, thread about this. So, I want you to just break that down. Um, give us your thoughts on the podcast. It's better to listen to someone talking about it rather than uh, rather than read. You know. Absolutely, yeah. No, I've wanted to add a bit more context yeah, to that because sure. whether it's tweets or an article, um, it, it's a limited kind of form in, in sense. Um, and explaining it verbally is is always the best way. So, um, I mean, as you pointed out, you know, over the last number of weeks, um, increasing number of Liverpool fans have been growing frustrated, even angry about the uh, perceived um, inactivity of the club in spending in the transfer market and bringing new players in you know a lot of comments are read on social media being along the lines of well 
you know, why don't we strike while the iron is hot? And, uh, you know, we've just come off winning the Champions League. Now's the time to really add those finishing touches to the squad and bring in the players that we need to, to make it a really full, complete squad. Um, and also another common one has been, well, you know, we made this world record profit for the previous season, 1718. Um, it was at the time when it was an, a world record profit of after tax, £106 million. So why aren't we spending that money? Um, so let, let me just quickly go in, into all of that then and I elaborated on some of that in the thread. So that £106 million, firstly, is an accounting profit. It's not £106 million of cash that's sitting in a bank account somewhere. Um, so uh, uh, in fact, it kind of harks back to a point that you um, mentioned with Eddie, uh, I think it was last week when you kind of recapped your uh, infamous now um, conversation with Michael Edwards mm. and uh, Dave Fallows, where I think you pointed out that he himself had said, you know, it's a snapshot of a point in time. Yep. Um, and and that's frustrating exactly as well, mate. He was really frustrated about people harping yeah. on about it because um, mm. he makes it look as if they've got 100 million sitting in the bank. Do you get what I mean? Mm. It's not like Which that. absolutely isn't the case. It absolutely is not the case. So, right, let, let's break it down then. So 106 million in a profit. So if you look at the accounts for 1718, and these accounts are actually on Liverpool Football Club's official website, so they're very easy to find. Um, the bulk of that profit, so before tax, the profit is approximately 125 million. The bulk of that profit um so it's a re in the region of about uh, 118 million is in relation to the profit from sale of players and for that season it was the sale of one particular player Felipe Coutinho so at the point at which we sold him in our accounts he was valued at around 3 million pounds believe it or not, three million pounds, because as I've explained on Money Talks in the past, um, when a player is brought into a club, um, their value is then reflected as an intangible asset. So when Felipe Coutinho joined Liverpool Football Club, he joined for about eight, eight and a half million pounds from Inter Milan back in January 2013. So in the accounts, he would have been listed at that point as worth eight and a half million and he would have been um, amortized or depreciated over the length of his contract. So if it was a five-year contract, it would have been reduced um, in equal amounts of 20% of that contract value. So just over 1.6 million. Um, so at the point at which he did move on, he was officially valued in the accounts as three million pounds, whereas obviously we sold him, um, add-ons aside, but in terms of the fixed fee for, I think it was about 106 or 108 million pounds. So that sale alone in the accounts is reflected as a, a profit of 105 million. Obviously, in that same season, we did sell other players as well, but that was by far and away the big sale. So that sale alone generated, quote unquote, a profit of 105 million. However, the actual money that comes in for that sale is very different to the way that it's shown in the accounts so at the point at which he was sold in the accounts we then show the profit uh, and again quote unquote um, for that single year at which it, at the point at which he was moved on from the club and obviously he moved to Barcelona so we've talked about it in the past that actually the money that comes from the buying club comes in installments and in the case of Felipe Coutinho, that money would have been split over three, four, maybe even five different installments. So those 106, 108 million pounds would have been split into maybe installments of 20 odd million, 25, say if it was four installments. And that would have been paid either every year, every transfer window. Um, and it varies from contract to contract. So the point being, even though it's shown in the accounts as 106 million profit after tax, the reality is from a cash point of view that that is not the true picture. That in fact, the money that we've got in for Felipe Coutinho 
so far, about 18 months since we sold him, um, maybe, say, £60 million. And we are still owed another 40-odd, um, excluding the add-ons. So I, I know that add-ons have kicked in based on appearances and things like that. And, uh, you know, the fact that Barcelona have won La Liga titles since he has joined. Um, so add-ons have kicked in. But just looking at the pure guaranteed sum, um, there is still a fair chunk owing to the club, owing to Liverpool Football Club. So that £106 million is not a real figure that is sitting in the bank account. Um, so that, that's the first point. And then the second point is going back to the thread that I posted, um, where, again, a common um, complaint of fans is we made £252 million, £251 million from TV money from the Premier League and the Champions League. Where's the money, John? That's the complaint. And so what I was trying to do in my thread is to explain, well, actually, we do have quite a lot of expenses, most notably um, our wage bill. And what I explained in that thread is that in that 17-18 season, when we made this quote-unquote profit of £106 million, um, the wage bill at that point was £264 million. Mm. Now... When we did this pod last year, exactly yeah. 12 months ago, I speculated that the wage bill might be in the region of about 220, 230 million, mm. uh, possibly slightly more than that. I never thought it would be as high as 264 million. And what was the, so what that, was the turnover then for, for that uh, last year? Um, so for that 17 18 season, the turnover was 455 million. Right. So the. The wages to turnover ratio was, I think, just slightly under 58%. Okay. And when we discussed this last year, I was actually mentioning that that figure would be probably towards the top end of where we'd want it to be. Now, the reason it ended up being a lot higher than I even anticipated is because what it showed is clearly that the bonuses attached to the Champions League must be very, very significant. Because um, not only did we score lots of goals in that competition, and we scored many, we also went right to the final. And that clearly um, earned the players in the squad um, a significant um, extent of bonuses, which is why the, officially we ended up with the second highest wage bill for 17-18 of all Premier League clubs. I say officially because, um, according to the accounts, Manchester City's wage bill was £5 million less than ours. But, uh, <laughs> And they have players on like 300k. They've got players on 300k a week. Yeah, and not just one or two, a bunch of them. Um, It's bullshit, absolute bullshit. And and they and their bonuses and incentives are apparently even more attractive than us. Oh yeah, if they win the league, massive. Come on, and they won it, so they won it back to back. Well, for that season, they won. I think it was two trophies. Was it? They won the the league cup and also the obviously the Premier League in that season. And then the season just gone, um, they, they won the treble, didn't they? So, um, But on top of that, they scored bucket loads of goals. They racked up 100 points. Um, so all of these players, they'll, you know, they'll be on clean sheet bonuses, goals bonuses, win bonuses, all sorts of bonuses, just even appearance bonuses. Um, so if you believe that their wage bill was £259 million, um, then you probably believe in Santa Claus as well. Um, but that, that, that's, uh, <laughs> I digress. Um, and that, that's maybe a subject for another pod. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think, it, I think it's Paris spot on. on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it's spot on. Uh, yeah, so getting back to Liverpool then, hmm. um, our wage bill for 17-18 was officially £264 million. And since then, we signed a whole bunch of players to new contracts. So Mo Salah, uh, Sadio Mane, um, Jordan Henderson, and a bunch of the youngsters as well, like Joe Gomez, Trent Alexander-Arnold. All of the key players, pretty much, were locked down to long-term new deals, which was really, really good. Um, but obviously, in most of those instances, players received massive increases in their wages. So uh, Mo Salah, for example, went from about 90000 a week to uh, a reported 200000 a week. Um, Sadio Mane went from about 90,000 a week to about 180,000 a week. Uh, Jordan Henderson, a slightly lesser increase, um, but others like uh, Robertson, Trent, Gomez, 
big, big increases. They were on lower wages and they've gone up to, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 a week. So that's added a significant amount to the wage bill. And on top of that, um, you know, there's a small matter of the fact that we happen to win the Champions League. And to win a major trophy like that would have meant all sorts of uh, bonuses for most, if not all of those first team squad players would have kicked in as well. And that, you know, we're talking millions and millions of uh, bonuses to be paid just for winning that competition. Ironically, um, it's financially beneficial um, to do what we did in the season before to get to the final and not win than it is to get to the final and win. Um, because the difference in prize money between winning and losing the final is only about, I think, £5 million. Um, but we probably paid a fair bit more than that just in bonuses. And don't get me wrong, I'm not for one second suggesting that we should have lost the final. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> that, but you're right. Like, the money-wise, the money men are thinking, shit, how much are we paying out to players, clubs? You know, yeah. fuck. And, and that's another point that you mentioned, you know, with clubs, because at the point at which we won the Champions League, your Southamptons, your RB Leipzig's, um, all these clubs that Roma. had uh, Roma, yeah, um, they would have had um, add-ons related to winning the Champions League or Premier League. So, do you and think so, that's why Roma? There was a report on the Echo just now that Roma could buy Lovren for eleven million quid. Could it be just because we may owe them a lot of money? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it could be that um, obviously with both Alisson and um, Mo Salah, we owe Roma, you know, a number, you know, maybe, I don't know what the figure might be, four, five, six, seven, eight million pounds just in bonuses uh, or add-ons rather um, for those two players. And um, so maybe they're offsetting one against the other. They might be saying, well, okay, normally we'd want 20 million for him, but because we owe Roma eight, nine million pounds, let's just net the two figures off against each other and we'll accept 11 million <laughs> Um, it could be as simple as that. Um, but th- these are the factors that I think fans don't quite appreciate, that um, by winning a major competition like that, um, we've signed over the last three, four years a whole bunch of players for significant add-ons. I mean, Oxlade-Chamberlain, for example, when we signed him from Arsenal uh, two years ago, um, we signed him for £35 million plus £5 million in add-ons. And I'd imagine the bulk of that £5 million uh, relates to winning a major trophy. So, you know, Arsenal might be owed two or three million just for that, the fact that he was part of a squad, even though he didn't play, um, that won the Champions League. Um, so all of these figures add up and we could easily have an add-ons bill of 15, 20, 25 million pounds owing to a number of clubs around Europe, which is a massive amount of money. So that's what I mean that, you know, whilst obviously all of us fans were delighted to win number six, back um, two months ago, exactly, as we record this, in Madrid. Um, our accountants, on the other hand, <laughs> it might have been a bit of a bittersweet um, moment for them because, on the one hand, delighted that the club's won something major. On the other hand, thinking, oh, shit, we're going to have to pay X number of clubs, millions upon millions of pounds, and that might affect maybe plans that we may have had to uh, spend in the summer. Um, so, so these are the types of things. Now, the other point I just wanted to make is um, Ornstein, David Ornstein, uh, previously of BBC, um, who I, I believe is now heading over to the uh, Athletic, um, like a lot of other journalists. Um, a couple of months ago on BBC Radio 5 Live, he said, um, words to the effect of Liverpool Football Club have run out of money and they will not be spending big in this transfer window. And if they will spend, they won't be spending more than what they spent on uh, Jordan Shakiri, is what he said, and suggested we might only bring two players in. And at that point, I tweeted and I said, that's a load of nonsense. The club's got a lot of money. The turnover was 500 million. And let's just get away from the accounts for one moment. And let's just look at pure cash, because the accounts um, capture a lot of non-cash items like depreciation, amortization, um, Things like that, which are significant factors in the accounts, but don't affect the cash that comes in and out of the club. And in terms of cash, um, the excellent Swiss Ramble on Twitter um, for the 1718 accounts um, analysed that um, our earnings from a cash perspective in terms of cash profit 
was for 17-18 in the region of about £90 million, uh, which is a significant amount of money and perhaps explains why last summer we were able to go out and uh, rack up such a massive net spend because we spent, it was about £160 million, but in terms of sales of players, there wasn't much um, coming in. Um, and even when we sold Solanke in January, that brought in about 19, 20 million. The net spend for last season, for 18, 19, was still in the region of about 130. The, re- the reason I'm flagging this up is that um, our cash position, the underlying money that comes in and out of the account, was the healthiest it had ever been in 17, 18. Um, and in 18, 19, ostensibly, that uh, surplus would have been in a s- similar region. Except 1819, uh, we have to factor in a bunch of things that weren't a factor in 1718. Um, so we've got, as we just talked about, add on payments to selling clubs that have sold the likes of Allison, Oxlade Chamberlain, Salah, Wijnaldum, and others to us over the last several years. Um, the bonuses that we've talked about having to be paid out to all of these players that won us this uh, sixth Champions League. Um, We've also got a £50 million construction project on the go at Kirby, which is due for completion um, in about a year's time, which is going to cost us at least £50 million. And that during this financial year just gone, um, already probably has cost us £30-35 million. And that's pure cash. As far as I'm aware, we didn't take any borrowing out, no loans to pay for that massive project. And on top of that, we've also had work going on in the background on Anfield Road End. And that involves um, architects, engineers, various consultants that all cost um, a lot of money. And that project on its own, without a spade even having been um, laid into the ground, already would have racked up several million pounds of costs. So all of those things considered, um, that cash profit that we would have made which is over and above the 7 million net um, accounting um, operating profit that I referred to in my thread. Um, that would have been bite, uh, bitten into quite significantly by all these um, things that are now going on um, due to winning the Champions League and due to projects that we are delivering at the moment and hopefully will be delivering over the next couple of years, specifically the Anfield Road End. So that is why. In my thread, I said that the club has to be very careful with how it manages its money. And if there's one thing we know about FSG, it is that they are very careful in how the finances of the club are managed because we we saw it you know, only eight, nine years ago when the finances are not managed properly. We were on our knees. We had Hodgson as our manager. Um, we were racking up massive losses. We were in a really sorry state. And we don't want to go back there again. So it's the right thing to do to be careful with what our our financial position is. And so that's why I think all of these different factors combined together help to explain why we haven't gone out and spent another, you know, 150 million pounds. But at the same time in my thread, I also mentioned that even if in terms of normal activities, we don't have a big surplus to spend on transfers, we still have the ability to go out and sell um, a bunch of players and um, you know generate money to spend that way Um, but clearly we've sold very few players and um, maybe there are reasons for that which only perhaps the club can explain but that's why I just wanted to kind of elaborate on is to say that look um, finances at this particular moment in time have to be carefully managed our underlying cash position is very strong which is why I rubbished Ornstein a couple of months ago Um, but you know, we've got a number of one-off items that have to be paid and have had to be paid over the last um, several weeks. And in the case of Kirby, over the last seven, eight months since that project started. So there's a lot going on. And I think fans just need to be considerate of all those things. And they just need to be patient because, you know, a year's time, we should have paid off the bulk or all of the fees for the likes of Van Dyke and Salah um Allison's most of his uh, fee would have been paid and you know we should hopefully at that point have a massive new kit deal kicking in as well so the money that will be coming in from that 
will be great. And we're seeing the evidence of that in another club in Arsenal. And the shirt sponsors are changing soon. Uh, well, no, that, that's already kicked in. Um, so Standard Chartered, um, that kicked in at the start of this season. Sorry, the season just gone, 18-19. Oh, right. Uh, and that, was, uh, that increased from 28 million to 40 million. And on top of that, there were performance bonuses attached to that. So by winning the Champions League, we might have made from Standard Chartered 45, maybe even 50 million. I've got no idea what the bonuses amount to. Um, but it was definitely reported at the time that that deal was extended um, just over a year ago that um, there were p- performance bonuses attached to that. So it wasn't just a simple flat 40 million. Um, if you were Where's to win. Standard friendly- money, John? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so that's why I estimated that our turnover for the season just gone um, should be in the region about 50 million. Uh, sorry, not 50, 500 million. What the fuck? I was going to say, what happened? <laughs> we can't Divide. pay the wages. We're fucked. So it's going to go yeah, up, um, but also the wages have gone up, right? Like you just said. So yeah. you're talking how much percentage will the turnover be still around 58%, you think, still? So there you have 20 minutes or so from uh, our Money Talks podcast uh, on AI Pro. Now, the guys there uh, have gone into some detail and obviously it goes much further. They talk for another hour or so on on this subject and other subjects uh, pertaining to Liverpool's finances. Mo's a chartered accountant. He really does look into the numbers. He really does know his stuff. He's worth following on Twitter. Uh, that tweet thread that he did this week has uh, received so much acclaim. It's at Mo Chatra on Twitter. Of course, you can Follow Gags Tandon as well on Twitter. He's at Gags Tandon. Do give us your feedback on uh, on Money Talks. Uh, if you're going to listen to it, obviously, you can listen to that full show at anfieldindex.com forward slash join. Now, I'm going to move on to Minefield. Now, normally, Minefield is uh, Alan O'Donoghue, a life coach at CA Coaching, and he's joined by uh, sports psychologist Andrew Vincent, who who look at all the psychological elements that affect Liverpool's squad and uh, some of our competitors' fan culture, things like that. Now, this week, they're joined by uh, sports physiotherapist at Elite Physio therapy and the performance lab marty loffran now marty loffran uh you may have heard on ai pro before he was the one that joined side brandish and broke that uh, alex oxlade chamberlain news on his injury uh, well before anyone else uh quite a fascinating insight now these guys are on this show for uh i'm gonna give you 10 minutes or so here they're looking at the the mental and physical process of recovery recovery from injury especially long-term injury and obviously we've got alex oxlade chamberlain rian brewster and joe gomez all coming back from uh from long-term injury so i'm gonna let the guys uh tell you a little bit about that process uh so this is uh, an extract from minefield we're actually here to talk about the mental and the physical process a player an elite player goes through or can go through when they're recovering from a significant injury so we do have you know three players anyway in the squad currently that um, are being seen as new players coming in because of the length of time that they were out. So we have Oxlade-Chamberlain, we have Brewster, and we have Joe Gomez. And I suppose this was sparked actually from our last conversation, Andrew, around how players manage that on on a physical level, but also on a mental level. So if we're going to delve straight into it, Marty, I'll come to you first. Like In your experience, how might a club like Liverpool manage the recovery and recuperation of players who are returning from a long-term injury? Um, and, and would they actually be working on the psychological side for players in your experience? Yeah, well, the first the first point, how do they manage it? The, mo- the most important point in managing injury is getting the diagnosis right. So like we, can you remember back whenever Oxlade-Chamberlain got injured and we had this uh, message come out of the club that he would be back by, by the pre-season? And it was a three to four month month injury. You know, if you tell a, a player like that, you know, this is a three, four month injury. And then suddenly you see a specialist. He looks at the MRI scan and, and it's a 12 month process. Like you can imagine the anger, the frustration that the, not just the player goes through, but also the management and the, the coaching staff. So first and foremost, the, the, the first point is to get the diagnosis right. Get the diagnosis right. That gives you some sort of timeline or time frame. And then the medical team, the sports science team, the coaching team and the player himself will come to, come, to, come together as a multidisciplinary team and they will discuss the, the diagnosis, uh, so what the injury entails, the prognosis, so how long potentially the player could be out for, what potential barriers they, they may face, what limitations on, on even their, their long-term career they could face because of the, this, this injury and what the recovery process in general will look like. 
and then start to piece together the, the, the rehab process. And the player will, will be included in that process at, at every step. You know, it's a, it's a really important to give him some autonomy over that and, and include him in any decision making. And really, the the big thing is that the that team needs to be consistent in their message to the player and to the people around that player to avoid any confusion and, and frustration. So th- I think that in general terms, that's how we can manage a long-term injury like this in the best possible way is to get the diagnosis right, have a good plan in place, have good communication, and then be consistent w- with it. And of course, they definitely will be working on the psychological side as well as the physical side. You just can't have one without without the other. You know, you can build the player's physical resilience up, but if you ha- if if the player is showing some sort of uh, inability to cope or lack of lack of confidence with that injury, then it doesn't matter how physically fit or strong they are. That you need to build that mental resilience and, and confidence with that, and likewise. If the player's overconfident, but the the physical attributes aren't there, then that's going to end in disaster as well. So you can't have one one with without without the other. They both go hand in hand. Okay, and so w- would there be a, a psychologist psychologist in as part of that multidisciplinary team, or would that be just seen as look, this is something you need to, to prepare yourself for? I think if you if you look on the website we don't seem to have any sports psychologists on the payroll and certainly since steve peters left uh, his role at the club i don't know of any sports psych guys who have been working but that's not to say that there aren't any i think a, a club like liverpool will employ sports psychologists on an, an ad hoc basis uh, as required both from an injury management point of view uh, but also interestingly which we'll talk about later from an injury prevention point of view and also from a performance enhancement uh, perspective. And uh, from my experience, you know, getting the right uh, sports psychologist working with the the player to create that buy-in between the two is crucial. And I think having one, sometimes having one sports psychologist, you know, working with uh, the uh, 24-man squad plus the academy, it's very difficult for him to be able to create buy-in with each of those players individually and create that relationship so sometimes the club might have you know several sports psychologists and they'll be able to to hand pick who they think might work best with joe gomez or with ox or with daniel storage or whoever whoever the player may be so i would i would think that the club probably have uh, you know uh, several sports psychologists that they would use on an ad hoc basis depending on the requirement and pretend and depending on, on the the player and on a, and work on a case by case basis that makes sense and I, I think it was simon was actually saying on, on this podcast that i think steve peters only was actually only employed for two days a week with the club when he was there so it wasn't like it was a he was in full time either so andrew from from your um side of things in your experience is it what was your role as a sports uh psychologist part of the recovery process or was it slightly separate i think it varies a lot from athlete to athlete really um which i guess is my stock answer for everything but (laughs) um especially when you're working with a player in a role where you're not necessarily fully connected with the team so sort of like marty said you're not like the one person who's there managing the senior team managing the youth teams like being the go-to guy for everyone um I, I think the role is really to follow the lead of the player. Um, you know, certainly, like if I'm working with someone and I know that they've gotten a pretty bad injury, um, which hasn't happened a lot of times, but has happened a couple times, um, usually the first thing that I'll do is just reach out, check in, see how they're doing, try and have some sort of upfront conversation about um, how are you feeling about this, just to gauge their reaction. For sometimes, like sometimes there's guys who it's just like, okay, like, this is what it is. They're upset about it, but you can tell that they're not necessarily going to struggle to cope right up front. Um, so usually I'll let them lead. I'll sort of say, do you mind if I check in with you every once in a while just to see how you're doing? Um, we can also keep working the way we've been working on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. It, it really just sort of depends. So I think that's the first thing is I try to get a sense of 
where they're at with the injury. Um, you know, how are they like cognitive appraisal is a really big thing when we get into the sport injury literature. So we're looking at, uh, how are, how's the athlete making sense of the injury? Like, are they really upset about it? Are they seeing it as the end of their career? Are they seeing it as I'm never going to get back to where I was? Are they, you know, really looking at this as this is bad. How are they appraising themselves? Like, are they confident in their ability to get back? Are they like, um, you know, you look at balance between sport and life. Are they so focused on sport that now they feel like in all areas of their life, like everything's done, like this sucks, like everything's on pause. Um, whereas an athlete who maybe has a little bit more social support and balance is someone who be less worried about or less concerned about. Um, so that's usually the first thing is you get a sense of how are they making sense of this injury in the bigger picture of their life and the bigger picture of their career or even in the short term of their recovery. Um, I really like what Marty said about honesty and painting a clear picture of it, because I think having those expectations set up front allows the athlete to cope with them in so much more of a clear way. I think one of the hardest things for athletes is that, you know, once you start getting back to that point of returning, there's the bumps in the road where there's small setbacks. It's, it's not always so clear cut as, um, you know, here's your three or four month timeline or your six month timeline. And then, you know, six months rolls around and it's like, okay, like that's it. Like it's, it's the guessing game that you have to play at the end, which is really hard for athletes to cope with. Um, and part of that is with themselves too, because that's when they have to start trusting themselves or not trusting themselves or coming to grips with, you know, what's my actual reaction to this as well. Um, so I think the the role is to be around during that process and to whatever extent the athlete wants you to. Um, I would say more so with injured athletes and other athletes, I try and check in on, um, you know, how they're coping emotionally in the broader picture of their life. Because certainly when you've dedicated a large portion of your being to participating in sport and being part of a team, um, often with injury, there's you're not fully excluded from the team, although sometimes you can be. Uh, so you lose that part of things and then also you lose a, a really big outlet. And so that can become a concern depending on the, the person who's injured. Um, so that's kind of the direction I go. And then following the lead from there. And if they're really struggling with like upfront, if they're really struggling with um, like appraising it in a very negative way, then that's OK. Like we don't need them to be positive immediately. Uh, certainly being dedicated to the rehab process is really important. Having buy-in to the rehab process is important, but we definitely don't need athletes to be, you know, all sunshine in those early stages of the injury, like giving them space to be upset about it is, is fair um, and good. And, you know, eventually if you give them that space, like they'll turn the corner with it. Uh, yeah. You bring up a really important point that, you know, Players do need to have the opportunity to to grieve the 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 injury, you know, and because it is it has such a, a a massive impact on them on a personal level, but also a professional level because this could be it, you know, something could happen along the way that that doesn't allow them to return to what they they they've placed so much of their identity identity in. So there we go, folks, three absolute experts in their field discussing the mental and physical process of recovery. And that's the sort of thing you can get on AI Pro, which you might not find elsewhere. Uh, real expertise, real knowledge, and uh, giving you a real insight to what's going on beneath the surface. So uh, you can go and listen to another 50 or so minutes of that show. It's on Anfield Index Pro. Just head to anfieldindex.com forward slash join to do that. Now, I'm going to conclude with our uh, AI Scouted show. Now, if you haven't listened to AI Pro before, Scouted is a show that Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett do every week in the build-up to, to various games during the season, looking at our opponents, looking at their strengths and weaknesses, looking at our strengths and weaknesses, and all the best names, uh, the players from around Europe and uh, how they would benefit Liverpool, how they would hinder Liverpool, how they would get on the other side. So uh, they watch a whole lot more football than than certainly I do and many other Liverpool fans and probably uh, most general football fans as well. So proper scouting, proper knowledge. Uh, Dave Hendrick in his own indefatigable style. You'll have uh, heard him before, no doubt, on our post-match Raw and old school podcasts if you've uh, listened to Anfield Index over the years. And Carl Matchett, the European football journalist who writes articles for, amongst others, this is Anfield. And uh, he also takes part in our uh, post-match Raw show from time to time as well. So these guys are going to look at three positives from three preseason and three concerns. So uh, take it away, guys.
Right. Give me your three big positives from this preseason and give me three causes for concern. Okay, causes for concern. I'm going to have to say the goalkeepers um, because we've only seen Allison for an hour. He did make one mistake, so you can't really say, yeah, you know, he's straight back in and straight back to his best because we don't know that. I assume he'll be perfectly fine, but I'll say a concern is the goalkeepers because we didn't have any more of them. We only had Mignolet. Um, the youngsters all picking up injuries was obviously a concern from their point of view because they would have had opportunities to impress. And Mignolet... If, you know, he, he is what he is. He's been exactly the same this preseason as he always is. He'll make some good saves, he'll be reasonably solid, and he'll make some horrendous errors. And that just continues to show that he's not of the elite level that we need somebody to be. Um, <coughs> a positive, look, the number of teenagers which are still involved mm. in and around the first team, against Leon even, we've had seven teenagers involved. Very, very impressive at this stage that they are still after people have been, you know, dropped along the way. Curtis Jones has gone down, Bed Woodburn out on loan. Nat Phillips should be going out on loan. Uh, Ryan Kent, with this mysterious illness of his, uh, is obviously going to be sold, I would imagine. And yet we've got a huge number of teenagers who are still involved and playing a support role. If they do carry on doing well in in training and in the under-23s matches, I'm sure they'll get a chance at some point. And as several of them have already shown, it's up to them at that point whether they stay in the team or not. Um, other positives... I'm going to say the returns uh, of Oxley chamberlain Wilson, and uh, to a lesser extent, Rian Brewster. Um, I think, you know, obviously Brewster looked very, very good against the domestic opponents, but once there was a step up, it was much more difficult for him to be involved. So there's an element of the same argument, as you mentioned earlier. If you play Harry Wilson around the seniors, he's going to look better, and he won't have to do everything himself and be a star. So the same goes for Brewster, but by the same token, if he's playing in quite a key role there, we need to make sure that he is capable of doing so. So I thought he was better against Leon, um, but he did struggle against one or two of the others. Wilson and Oxley chamberlain having them back in the squad for me, that is very, very good. That makes our squad stronger than last year. If you've got those two in, but you've lost Daniel Sturridge, I think it's better. Um, if you to- say they're like new signings, I'm throwing you off. <laughs> I, I won't I quite go, I get won't the quite disconnect go button ready, song. <laughs> I'm not going full Jürgen on it, but I do think that having those two and not Sturridge makes the squad better. It's more dynamic and there's more goals between those two than Sturridge offered us last year. Um, you know, plus they cover more, more positions between them, if nothing else. So there is that. And as a final positive, the, look, a lot of people are going to look at this as a negative, but we've lost nobody. You know, there's, the squad has barely changed at all. We've lost nobody, though. The cohesion, the understanding, the, the trust that this squad has is a big, big thing. Yeah, yeah, we want to add quality to it, and that's understandable that people want us to go and spend money from a position of strength as European champions. But at the same time, we've not lost anybody this summer that we haven't wanted to. And I think that that is a massive, massive thing. I'm not going to say look at Spurs because Spurs didn't win anything. Look at mm. ourselves. This is what we already are. You know, we haven't lost anybody from the best team in Europe. That's a big, big thing. Um, so I would say that, that is, that's a huge positive for us. And we may still go and get somebody before the transfer window shuts. Um, I, I don't know where I'm up to. Have I got everything I needed to? Yeah, no, that's fine. I, I would temper the best team in Europe thing. I, I don't think the Champions League winner is necessarily the best team in, in Europe. And we didn't win our domestic league. So I don't know that we can actually say we're the best team in, in England in Europe when there's a better team in England. But I do agree with you, not losing anybody is 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 important. I think a negative is that we didn't get rid of some of the kind of deadwood that the squad is carrying. Um I think the injury to Klein is a negative because obviously it means we can't sell him and we're not we're now we've now lost probably ten million on Nathaniel Klein. Uh because he's going to go on a free next summer because no one's going to buy him when he's recovering from an ACL tear. Uh, the injury to Paul Glatzel is one that is, is a bit, it's rough because I, I think that kid's got real talent. Um, I don't know if he'll be good enough, but I think I think he could be a Wilson level who's good enough to be around the fringes and we could sell him for a decent amount down the line. Uh, but like you, I think the just the amount of young players we've involved this year, Sepp, Harvey Elliott, Bobby Duncan, 
even Adam Lewis, though I don't think he'll make it Liverpool. It's it's good to see him, you know, getting some involvement. Uh, Hoiver and Larushi, obviously, really really impressive um, when when they've been called on this preseason. Um, I agree with you on Brewster. I think he's looked a little bit short of what's needed when played against better opposition. And I said this in your piece on this is Anfield recently. I'd actually be looking to loan him out this summer. I, I know Klopp has said he's going to play a big part. I don't see how he is personally. Like, where is he going to play? He's the number three, number, the, he's the third choice, number nine, because Origi's always going to get picked above him. And if you're talking about playing wide, is he, you want to pick him over Shakiri and, and Harry Wilson, given he can't, he's never shown he can play wide. He's got no experience in those positions, even at underage levels. Um, so to me, I don't know where Brewster's going to get these minutes that Klopp has apparently promised him. And I think alone to, even if it was to the you know, Bundesliga second division, I think would be beneficial to him. Even a championship loan could be very beneficial to him. Um, and just get him regular minutes somewhere where he's going to play and he's going to learn. Um, that's It's a little bit of a concern to me that Brewster just, he just looked a little bit shy, shy of, of what's needed. And we know the talent is there. He's been off for a long time, obviously. So that's something to factor in, but it just, it's a little bit concerning to me that he has looked a little bit lost when played it's against quality opposition and, and decent center backs who have a rough idea of what they're doing. Um, yeah. Like, and my other um, positive is it's, it's over now. That's, that's it. You know, none of, none of our, our top players got hurt. Mo is fit, Bobby is fit, Fabinho's fit, Naby's fit, the back five are all fit, and Joe Gomez is fit, um, Henderson is fit, Milner is fit. These are the guys we're really going to rely on. Like you said, having Ox back is big as well. I, see, I don't know there's as, as big a role for Milner now that Oxley chamberlains back, because Oxley chamberlain plays pretty much all the positions Milner plays and is better in pretty much every one of them. So I don't know if there's a huge role for Milner like there was last season. Um, I, I think Ginny, Naby and Henderson, or Ginny, Fab and Henderson start the season and then Naby works his way in likely for Henderson once he gets fit. And then you've got Henderson and Ox as your two backups. And sure, Milner will get minutes at, at you know covering the left back, but how many is he going to get? Robbo's pretty much unbreakable. So, you know, he'll play 50 games. Um, I, I think we're in. I think we're in good shape. It just, you know, we needed a couple of additions. We haven't made them, and it's, it's a shame we haven't used this position of strength to move on. But it is what it is. Um, but we'll go into the season confident, of, of course, that we'll have a great run in Europe. I think we're, we'll definitely be in, in, you know, challenging for the title. Um, even though I'm, I'm, I think we might fall a bit short on that, but we were nailed on for top four. There's no chance we don't make top four, barring a cat, you know, catastrophic injury to Virgil or Allison, um, and you know, Lovren or Mignolet having to play regularly. Uh, I think we'd even get away with Mignolet once Virgil's there. But the other fella, if if Virgil went down, I think we could be in bother. So that was uh, extracts from three shows that were on uh, Anfield Index Pro this week. Uh, do you agree with the guys? Do you disagree with the guys? Thoughts and feedback are always welcome. We uh, we we come up with this content and we build it based on feedback. The best way to do it, we have a Discord community, our Anfield Index thriving community, for loads of debate far more uh, intense and detailed than the uh, sort of stuff that you get on Twitter and Facebook. So to join that community, completely free to do so. It's anfieldindex.com forward slash discord, which is D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Or if you prefer Twitter, uh, we're very vocal on that medium as well. We have two Twitter accounts. It's at uh, anfieldindex or for the pro side, at uh, anfieldindexpro. So what have we got coming up? Uh, Trev Downey's... Uh, Deserved a well-earned break, and he's jetting off for some sunshine. So uh, the Kings of Europe season, if you've been listening to that, I think he's got some more in the can. There's seven episodes out so far. Even though he's uh, on vacation, I'm sure he'll have uh, got in front of his mic and put another couple together 
for you with all the various contributors that have uh, been part of that show. A, a really amazing show, and it's received some uh, critical acclaim on social media in particular. So there should be more of them winging their way to you very soon. Jan Molby returns next week for Molby on the Spot with Trevor Way. I think I'm getting to step into the hosting chair for that one. So I'll apologize now if the standard goes down a little bit. I will do my best to get the best out of the uh, great Dane when he returns to your ears next week. Uh, what else is there? There's Rival Recon, Harry Setti, also from our post-match rule show. He's taken a look with a show on each of our top six rivals. So the Man United show's already out there. The Arsenal show's out there now. Obviously, they've signed uh, Nicola Pepe this week. Uh, that show was out before that happened, but I think there was some discussion around that. And uh, he'll continue that with shows on Spurs, Chelsea and Man City, uh, undoubtedly, in the next week or so. So uh, do look out for those. Rate Don't Hate, that's a show where we give all the players uh, a rating out of 10 and compare it to... Uh, Major media outlets such as the Liverpool Echo, the Anfield Rap, and uh, this is Anfield now. Uh, Guy Drinkle's uh, stepping in for uh, Tom Holmes on that show. Thanks to Tom for all his efforts. And uh, Tadiwa's coming in for for Adam Petruccioni. Those guys are just a bit busy with stuff uh, away from uh, football in the uh, in the coming year. So they've stepped aside. But Calum returns to host that show. And there's also a, a survey out now for asking for predictions. Uh, it's a very interactive show. We do get the subscribers to vote on their ratings. And, and they get included in the show as well. And uh, there's a survey out now on where you you think uh, Liverpool will succeed or fail this year and uh, just the best way to find that uh, Twitter at Anfield Index Pro and you can see uh, look for the rate don't hate survey it'll be in one of the uh, the top tweets up there and you're more than welcome to take part and that will be discussed on the first show of the season which will come after Sunday's Community Shield uh, depending on uh, when this show uh, reaches your ears I guess. Uh, the Tactics Weekly will return. Dan Rhodes will be back soon with uh, with Hamza. And Lee Scott, the author of the upcoming book, uh, Mastering the Premier League, uh, which is available on Amazon, I believe, uh, very soon, is joining the panel as a regular guest. Alas, this means that uh, head coach of Miami FC, Mr. Paul Dalgleish, and Gav Jones uh, were unable to commit to regular uh, weekly shows during the season. But they'll remain a big part of the shows that we do uh, on Anfield Index Pro. And uh, you'll be hearing more from them in due course, I'm sure. So how do you get your hands on all this content? Well, you just head over, as I've said earlier in the show, to anfieldindex.com forward slash join, where you can start a seven-day free trial with absolutely no obligation to continue, where, of course, we hope you will continue, uh, in which case you'd only pay £4.99 per month or £39.99 per year for over 30 exclusive podcasts per month from AI Pro. Now, that £39.99 will go up again to £49.99 once the season starts. So this is a great opportunity to bag a whole year of, uh, of Anfield Index pro content and all our regular shows will be returning uh, very soon once the uh, once the season gets underway with that game uh, against Norwich uh, on the horizon and not too far away so uh, I'm off to enjoy a bit more cricket I'm uh, trying to delve in a bit of cricket with the ashes being on uh, you can uh, catch up on all our thoughts on cricket as well uh, we've got a sister channel Crick Index you can follow that one on Twitter as well it's at Crick Index so uh, the likes of Dan Kennett and uh, other names, uh, Dan Rhodes as well, that you're uh, aware of from uh, from Liverpool content, uh, take part in that show as well. So uh, all things cricket for me for the foreseeable future, but I will be hooking up with Jan Morby, as I said, next week, and I can't wait to do that. Always, uh, always great fun to, to record shows with Jan and get his uh, very unique insight on all things Liverpool Football Club. So until next time, up the Reds. Podcast Network.